0: This album is dedicated to all brothers and sisters, my men and my women, and yo, it's time put our hands together, hop, hip hop, because what I'm talking about y'all is hip hop, it's hip hop, it's hip hop. The stories of hip hop, of rap music, are the stories of a million MCs who inside of them, the words are coming, the words they need to make sense of the world around them. The words are witty and blunt, abstract and linear, sober and fucked up. And when we decode that torrent of words, by which I mean really listen to them with our minds and our hearts open, we can understand their world better. And ours too. It's the same world. This is Rhymes and Reasons. My name is Leida Viegas, and I am known in the world dance community as Lady Sol, and that's S-O-L, which is son in español. My history and background, I am born out of an immigrant family from Mexico. I was the eighth child, the only one born and raised in the United States, uh, Chicago, Illinois. And dance has been my passion, my love, my best friend since I was five years old. When I heard L.O. Kujay's I Need Love in the Radio, I was just... My I was breathless. I was like, wow. Yeah, you love and rap, they actually go together. And uh you know, that just it was it was just kind of mind blowing to me, I guess, to hear a love a rap love song. And at that time, you know, again, being young and a teenager and thinking I was in love. <laughs> When I'm alone in my room Sometimes I stare at the wall And in the back of my mind I hear my conscience call Telling me I need a girl Who's as sweet as a dove For the first time in my life I see I need love There I was Giggling about the games That I had played with many hearts And I'm not saying no names Then the thought occurred Tear drops made my eyes burn Cause I said to myself Look what you've done man. And then actually And then later on Watching LL Cool And I was like Oh my god He is so fine <laughs> You know so, and then his name was, you know, Ladies Love Cool J. So it kind of just all made sense. And then, of course, after that, listening to his other songs, it was like, wow, and he's hardcore, and he's soft, like, that's fresh, <laughs> you know. So I I really took to his style and his persona and his swag and his sexiness and all of that. So that clearly, I think, was, you know, one of the first exposures I had to rap music was LL Koujay I, I I brought that one up because that that definitely was the song where after that I started to listen you know, listening to more more rap music, hip hop music. You know, And as a dancer, of course, looking at these videos and trying to see who's got dancers and how fresh they were. And then that's when I discovered a lot of the hip hop dance legends, such as Buddha Stretch and Leslie Cigar, who was working with Heavy D, Josie Harris. And then, of course, there was Rosie Perez, who did the intro on Spike Lee's movie. Public Enemy was on that track. And just to see Rosie Perez just getting down. I was always interested in knowing, like, who these people are in the background because, of course, I gravitated towards dance. So, you know, aside from the rap music and the dance beats, I was like, oh, who are those guys behind them? And, like, who's putting this together? And then I started seeing all the same faces in the different videos. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until later that I started actually knowing who these people were. Because you had people like Big Daddy Kane had, I think it was Scoopy and Scoop and Scrap or something like that. Heavy D started using dancers, um, even people like Moni Love, Salt and Pepper. Those were all, I would say, trendy dances that just happened to get choreographed. I would say that some of them were influenced by West Coast popping. Because you could see some of the movement in there, what New York called flexing at the time. And one of the leaders, I would say, of that entire style and movement was Moptop, who are now elite force, which includes Buddhist Stretch. They are legends to me, just as Crazy Legs is a legend to Rocksteady, but I wasn't necessarily a beaker, I wasn't interested in break dancing. So Buddhist Stretch to me is like the epitome, that era of hip hop dancers. Baby, baby. I had seen this crew called Kamikaze perform somewhere, I can't remember where, because back then there used to be like local teenage parties and I had seen them perform and I was like, oh my God, like that's what I wanna get down with. And then I found out, you know, through hearsay that they're like, you know, the top dance crew, you know, in that somewhat Puerto Rican network, (laughs) if you will, of, you know, house and hip house. And I learned that they were rehearsing down the street on like Armitage near Kimball or something. I lived on Kimball right off North Avenue. So I literally was down the street. And I I think I remember going over there and introducing myself. and, And I think I just kept going. It wasn't like they were like, oh, yeah, come on in. And then the girl who was like the leader of the crew, she really gravitated towards me. She was a little bit older. I was only 13. I think everybody was like 17. And before I knew it, I was in the crew. And then our rival crew was down to house. (laughs) And the promoters would promote these parties where it was like kamikaze versus so-and-so. And they had cash prizes and yeah so it was pretty much just being in the crew coming in learning the choreography getting ready for these dance competitions these battles I spent a good portion, or actually, I think my entire high school years living in Humboldt Park, which is a predominantly Puerto Rican neighborhood. I attended Walt Disney Magnet School, which was a very diverse magnet school. And because I very much admired the way that African Americans and Puerto Ricans danced, I was like, wow, can you teach me that? And there was this one girl that just, like, knew the Janet Jackson moves. the snake and i was like the probably one of the first dance moves that i was just like i got it and it took me a long time we go like in the bathroom the bathroom breaks i would like bug the shit out of heather banks she was probably my first dance teacher in <laughs> the bathroom breaks and when i got it i was ecstatic <laughs> and then from then on i was just studying janet's videos and learned probably all of them through rhythm nation just by being home and and watching and mimicking. And then for talent shows, I would perform Janet Jackson. (laughs) So it really all started with Janet and then kind of shifted into hip hop and hip hop dancers. I think when I heard Heavy D's Now That We Found Love, which has a house influence, I was like, wow, he's amazing, you know, and he's this big, light-skinned guy who dances his ass off. (laughs) I don't know, and I I just thought he had so much charm and, and finesse, and he's got these dancers. The performance that really, really caught my eye was a performance he did for the Soul Train Awards. I believe I still have it documented somewhere in in my VHS tapes. Because that's that's where he had dancers like uh, Josie Harris and Leslie Cigar, and I think Fatima Robinson. And Fatima Robinson is a dance legend. Formerly he, for the most part, always used guys. You know, it was Heavy D and the boys. His boys were his dancers. And so to see him with these girls behind him it was like, wow, like, they do it. I can do that, too, like, maybe one day, you know? And then to actually venture off to New York and through different, you know, connections, actually get in touch with Leslie Cigar. And then one day, like, she calls me and says, hey, we're doing the show in Atlantic City for some black music conference. Do you want to do this show with Heavy D? I think I fell out. <laughs> I tried to keep my cool, you know? <laughs> And they call everybody and they mama after the the call. <laughs> Oh, there was that other song, "De La Soul's Me, Myself, and I." I remember like working at my sister's office and like sweeping her floors, and that song came. I was like, oh, and I'd be dancing, <laughs> sweeping the floors, you know. Twister was putting out his first album, and I was asked to do some shows for him on the West Coast. And I I had no idea that he was opening up for De La Soul until I got there. So then when I saw those guys on stage, it's just me, myself. I was like, oh shit, that's them dudes. (laughs) Oh, that's the guys I was listening to on the radio. So, and then after that tour, I think that's when I discovered, you know, the the whole Native Tongue family, you know, Tribe Called Quest, Black Sheep. I kind of also gravitated towards that. I think back to, to my New York state of mind, uh, Nas was an artist who I was also introduced to about the same time I was introduced to the Fugees and largely in part due to my internship at Columbia Records. I believe his first album was dropping at the time when I was interning at Columbia Records and that's how I was introduced to Nas. It wasn't like I was looking for it or somebody was like here. I was working in the marketing department, and the artists that were assigned to my boss, Ashley Fox, happened to be Nas's product manager. And so she would always say, when we get new music, here you go, go home and listen to it. And she was saying, if you have an idea, bring it back. (laughs) So she would like give me these assignments, and that's how I was introduced to the Fugees. So you know, I've had. I guess different exposures to, to different genres of music. And also, reggae was introduced to me as well. We had Shabo Ranks, we had Lady Patra. I was in her video. <laughs> <Yes, sir. laughs> I this. I that, sister. You, you wanna fit inside my space? You wanna see my headlamp on my bumper, right? Let me tell something, baby. Red light and green light, yellow light. Of- Take the green light because that's the gold light. I want to set the gold light. Know Lady so- Patra taught me how to whine. She said, nah, girl, this is how you do the wine ting. Watch closely. And I was like, wow. You know, and I had seen her dancers and I was like, damn, their shorts are really little. I wasn't used to that. You know what I mean? Like nobody had ever asked me to wear poom poom shorts, as they call them. But her publicist, Brian Stevenson asked me, she's like, "Um, we're shooting a video for Patra. Do you want to be in it? And I was like, yeah. So the first video wasn't as hard, you know, core, if you will. And then she liked me. And she was like, again, here's this Mexican girl with little braids. I had my little brat braids. And it was like, yeah, the Mexican girl. Okay, cool. Patra wants, you know, wants to know if you come down for the remix and bring a girlfriend with you. So I brought this Japanese girl. So she had she had two, two black girls and then she loved the idea of having a Japanese and a Mexican girl that was like hot to her, you know, and then so I wouldn't get on the set. They're like, um, can you wear these? And I was like, oh, those are really little. <laughs> but at the same time, too, I was fucking Petra. What do you think? You know? So I was like, well, can I wear uh, nylons underneath? <laughs> they are like, yeah, fine. Just wear the damn shorts. So I had these gold shorts. And if you look at it, you see me on the balcony <laughs> with my little tiny shorts with Patra. So now it's like, here's hip hop. Here's reggae. Uh, I got called to do Ray Vaughn's Guns No Murder video. I got called to do I Need Comozy. Here comes the, the hot stepper. I did Apollo with Ray Vaughn and Shaggy, so now I'm being exposed to, to reggae as well. So they kind of been dancing the dance together with me for a while. <laughs> Hip-hop, again, went through that period where I wasn't seeing a lot of a lot of dancers, but I still found other opportunities, whether they were with R&B artists, reggae artists, the grind, you know, I became, you know, one of their selected dancers and they would send us to San Diego and Miami. And so we get all these free trips, you know, we get paid a little bit, but, (laughs) you know, to, to go do all the spring breaks with MTV. And then of course there was always the club scene in New York the hip hop club scene and the house dance scene and then that's where I started meeting some of my legends like that's where I saw Buddha Stretch Lynx and I'd be like oh shit I had actually seen their documentary when I got to New York that they put out on PBS pretty much it was about Moptop that crew and there was maybe another crew that was included in that documentary so i already knew who these guys were you know and then like to see them in the flesh in the club uh, to me they're like stars you know what i mean at the time they're dancers that's you know i probably love them more than i love the artists really so like to see them in the flesh it was like wow ah, there's Buddha, there's Legs, oh shit, you know? And then after running into them a couple of times at different clubs and then I started dancing and I just threw myself in those circles, then that's how I kind of befriended all the New York hip-hop and house dancers. <laughs> say this. Dancers have a reputation of sorts. (laughs) You know, a lot of even stars assume that you're a female dancer, you're hot, and you want to fuck all of us. And that was never the case for me. It was always I love to dance. This is my passion. And um, I just want to work. And, you know, I had a lot of instances with different artists who wanted more than just for you to dance. I felt like sometimes I was being punished for not you know, doing what they wanted to do. And so they might not have given me another job after that. (laughs) Being a dancer wasn't the easiest thing also because you're not really highly respected as a dancer. My experience as a dancer has been that we're at the bottom of the ladder where entertainment is concerned. There's no real union for like, dancers who work in the music business for theater there is for actors they have sag there are certain standard rates in la and new york but in any other cities and states there's no standard it's like that's the budget take it or leave it and most of the time it's like fifty dollars to nothing yeah this is the fugees refugees about to take you on a journey into the dimensions of the Booker basement. The basement's word. Uh. Hey yo, one, two, three. Uh-huh. The crew is car at future And if you come for test the rap styling, uh-huh. stop the violence and just bring it on. Why yo? Yeah, okay, so yeah, let's go to Lauren. I think it's important. I I think sharing the story is is important because I do see a relevancy as far as being a woman in hip hop, being a woman in the industry. And she definitely, of all the people that I've met, had personal interaction with them, that she is by far one of the strongest women in hip hop. And when I say that, her ethics, her values, her morals, she just has a a different standard I think once I actually started having small conversations with her through my internship at Columbia Records knowing her I was like she's literally the female Bob Marley that's how I saw her that's how I saw her before she even linked up with the Marley's and I was just like that's where she's going of course I, I met her during their first album before the score and I just thought she was just, again, just the epitome of strong women in hip-hop, you know. And to be able to speak with her and just have various conversations with her, you know, about womanhood, about the industry, and just varying spiritual conversations about, I guess, the evil that's involved with being a part of this industry and to see her go from the first album into the score and listening to the score and saying wow you know they are politically conscious but they're not like a public enemy they use comedy sometimes to relate certain messages you know just kind of telling you like it is but still having that coolness still not being very preachy about it and That's one of the reasons why I loved the Fugees. You know, they could still have these undertones of social, spiritual philosophies, but again, not beating you over the head with it. You know, so there was always messages kind of, you know, flowing through their album. And then to be able to actually go with them to their shows and see them rock and just kind of have this, Rapport with them. Okay. Huh. My intellect will protect what you threaten. Captain to Lieutenant, Bing. even take cadets. In. I take the all risen to the power four. Don't fear no other force. I'll be your hard core. The folk lord you spread down over shacks. Got you gasp on some shit. May I suggest X, lax, relax. Your whole perception seems to be distorted. And my dimensions make refugees get deported. just be like biting each other. Style. I went through. I can't even explain it, but I guess uh, spiritual warfare, if you will. And so there was, I I think it was about a year, year and a half of my life where I was being medicated for, quote-unquote, being, what did they say I had? They said I was bipolar. They said I had chemical imbalances in my brain or something. And I was in and out of institutions. Drumming my pain with his fingers. Singing my life with his words One day I woke up and I was taken into whatever that experience was. Wyclef, I think I saw him right around when I was having the breakdown and I saw Lauren and I I literally just remember saying somebody's trying to kill me and then she just like grabbed me like really tight and just looked at me and She said, um, no matter what happens, you just remember, you know, Ja Love. You know, I mean, God loves Ja Love. And that's the last time I had seen them. They were on their way, and I think I was in the car with them, rushing them to the airport, and there was just all types of shit just running out of my mouth. And even they were, like, on alert, like, is some shit in this car? Get us to the airport, told my family, take care of her, call us, let us know what's going on with her. Before I knew it, like I said, I was in the hospital. I remember them calling me a couple times to check on me. And then that was that one day I woke up and I just completely snapped out of whatever that was. They came back, I think in 97. And that was over, that period of my life was over. And they were just so happy to see me. And I went with them to the show at the Rosemont Horizon. We hung out. I was actually, at the time, doing some just independent writing for this newspaper called The Chi-Town Lowdown. And, you know, she allowed me to interview her. And so, you know, again, that album has so much personal relevancy in my life and, you know, life-changing because, again, you know, the way I, I see Lauren as a musician, you know, as a spiritual being is just on just on a complete another level. And then to watch her in the media going through everybody from Wyclef, Praz, her brothers talking about her saying, you know, she has whatever, this mental problem, or I guess they were saying the same thing about her. They were saying about me, she's got chemical imbalances. She's got multiple personalities or, you know, so it's just like, I'm just praying, like, you know, I hope she's not going through the same thing I went through. And then she disappeared for 10 years. So yes, the score into miseducation was just probably my soundtrack for a while. Um, Killing Me Softly was somewhere in my heart and mind empowering and cleansing I would just I remember listening to to that album listening to her listening to Killing Me Softly and just being able to get through all these personal spiritual experiences that will always be like my soundtrack for that period of time. 99. I decided to move to LA. And so I still kept working. But during that period in Chicago from 96 to 99, my partner and I, Larry Sims, we basically were like the Chicago choreographers. Anybody that needed anything from R. Kelly to public announcement to twist, like anybody in Chicago that needed dance, they came to us. We held probably 98% of the dance projects in Chicago with artists. Then after that we were like, you know, y'all got some sorry ass budgets, like I'm tired of this like, okay, we better go see what's on the west coast, you know, and see what the standards are over there. And we learned that the standards were much higher. The rate of pay for a music video was much higher. We did the best that we could in trying to make it as choreographers and dancers. Back to Cali Cali Cali. I'm going back to Cali. I don't think so. I'm going back to Cali. 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 I'm going back to Cali. I don't think so. going back to Cali. Styling, profiling, dialing, and smiling while in the sun. The top is down on the black Corvette and his fly is sitting on the jeans. By the time 2000, 2001 hit, I was over the industry. Fuck all you motherfuckers. (laughs) You know, you want everything for little to nothing. I'm not interested in just being a dancer. I'm, you know, I'm a businesswoman. And I felt like Larry, you know, was a very strong choreographer. And I felt that he wasn't given a fair chance to choreograph for various reasons. And then he soon shifted his career as well. He wanted to do hair, and he is now a very successful celebrity hairstylist. So that was when I was in Chicago, it was the Smoking Groups Groove's tour, and Wyclef Jean was the headliner, Buster Rhymes was on the tour, Black Eyed Peas, who at the time were just coming out, it was their first album, uh, Maya, who was, th- those were the main four people on that tour. And so my friend Brian Footwork Green, who's a house hip-hop legend, was choreographing for Maya. And then I already had relations with Clef Jean from working at Columbia Records with the Fugees. And so I called Brian. I was like, yo, Brian, I need some tickets, but I need some passes as well. I was like, because I want to dance for Clef Jean that night. He don't know it yet, but, you know, I'm I'm going uh, to ask him because, you know, he's never seen me dance. And he always hears about me dancing, but he ain't never seen me dance. So it was like, OK, I got you. I got you. So I had one of my designer friends make me, like, this beautiful long dress, you know. And so I got there, and I was like, yo, Clef, I was like, what's up with Juan Are you going to let me dance? (laughs) And he agreed to it. He's like, but I just—are you ready? He's like— He's like, Cause I'm going to give you the whole stage. He's like, so you better, you better fucking come with it, basically. I was like, I got you. Well, first of all, they were, it was uh, on the south side at this old soccer stadium. And I'm not sure if, I think they were on a two Cypress Hill. So there was like a huge Latino population that came out for that concert. Mm-hmm and he like literally turned off all the lights and like put one spotlight uh, on the stage and it was like, where are my Latinos at, are all my Mexicans, <sighs> everybody's going crazy. And then he's like, well, I have a special treat for you. Here's my girl, Lady Soul from Chicago. Y- Y'all let me know if she's rocking the motherfucking stage. You know? <laughs> so here I come out with my dress, and then they is going crazy. And like, it literally was like my fucking dance. And I didn't tell my family, but I invited my family. I'm like, I'm not telling nobody, you know, because it might not happen. You know, but I, like, had all this, like, in my head. I had it all laid out. Like, okay, Mikas is going to make me the dress, and I'm going to, you know, choreograph it, and I'm just, I'm dancing with Wyclef Shawn that night, you know what I'm saying? And it happened. So right after that, Busta Rhymes, like, literally bum rushes me. Oh, my God, you shorty. Oh, my God, you were so fly. I need you for my video. And in my mind, I'm not believing it because I had already like... So many people, broken promises. Okay, I need you for this. I need you for that. You know. I was like, yeah, okay. He's like, no, for real. Paul Hunter's gonna, you know, direct the video and use who I was looking for because we're going to Mexico, shorty. You know, (laughs) this, this, and that. And I'm just like, "Mm, yeah, okay. You know. And then so, so he's like, so and so's gonna call you by next week. And but here's my number. And I'm like, yeah, this is your number. Okay. I think two days later, fucking Buster Rhymes calls me, and I was like oh, I guess it is Busta, you know? I know his voice. And then um, so he's like, I'm sending you the music. He sends me the music. And then all this happens. Next thing I know, I get a call from Paul Hunter. And... He had choreographed Janet's uh, I Get So Lonely and I thought it was the most amazing thing. Before I know it, I'm on the phone with Paul Hunter and we're talking about dancers and we're talking about, you know, this whole dress thing, the wardrobe, because basically it was for Flip Mode Squad and they did the sequel of two videos where they're in, in Mexico. It's called Everybody on the Line Outside and then the second song was Cha 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 Cha. So it had this whole Spanish thing to it. Mind you, I didn't know shit about Spanish dancing. So I called up one of my friends and I knew that's what she did. And I was like, hey girl, you know, da 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 you know, it doesn't have to be extensive. I just need to hook up with you and you need to just teach me some arm basics and, you know, how to work with the dress. Next thing I knew, I'm like flying to Mexico, you know, and it was just like perfect because I'm Mexican. You know? And it was just like, is this really happening? <laughs> Out of, you know, saying to Wyclef, I just want to dance. I wasn't expecting fucking Busta Rhymes to be like, oh my god, and I was scared shitless because I didn't have my partner and he wasn't a part of the deal. I just kind of went out on my own and just had to trust myself and so I just kind of just threw myself out there so the first video which was everybody on the line outside I was the choreographer so they sent me these girls from Mexico And outside of choreographing the dancers, Paul Hunter says, hey, you know, I have these models and they just need a little movement, you know, something that they can do because they're like the Busta Rhymes love interest in the video. So I just need your opinion, you know, I'm going to bring them in and I'm just going to kind of do a short screen test with them. You just, you know, let me know who you think can pull it off and then I'll want you to work with them for a couple of hours. I'm like, all right, cool. So. You know, I think there's like three different girls. I think most of them had like short hair. One of them wasn't even Mexican. She was like from Europe somewhere. And so they're about to set up the shot and they still had not casted the main girl. And I told them, I was like, you know, in all honesty, if you're asking me like from worse to better, but none of them are really it's, mm-hmm. but if you ask me to choose, I would say this particular girl. It's like, okay. I think we were sitting at the table having lunch and I think it was Paul Hunter, his producer and mind you, I had my head wrapped and everything and um, B- Busta already knew I had long hair and he's l- and so they're looking at me, they're just looking at me and I'm like what the fuck are they looking at, you know, <laughs> you know they're like literally like I'm sitting across from them and they're like I'm just wondering like you could speak out loud, you know what I'm saying, don't make me feel weird and you know stuff. And then so, and then they leave the table and then they go to bus's trailer. And then the producer comes back and says um Buster he wants to talk to you and i'm like i already knew in my head i was like i bet he does <laughs> and he's like yo ma you know i know i hired you to be the choreographer and the dancer but you are santiago that was the the character he's like you gotta you gotta be my lead girl you know you mexican you got the long hair you know <laughs> and i was looked at him and i was like buster i already knew <laughs> <laughs> Head wrap came off, I'm like hair makeup, please. <laughs> so I end up being his lead girl love interest for that video as well. And I had honestly, I had never I had never done a lead girl thing, you know, I'm always the background dancer. And then to actually you know see myself on film i was like i was nervous but it was like when we were shooting it it was very natural you know but again even after all of that and even people you know were recognizing that oh you know she she looks really good on film whatever whatever after all the other funky experiences i was like you know there's a lot of things in this world that i care about way more than like being in somebody's video being on camera or going to parties with this person and that person and through the years surrounding myself you know with particular dancers and just their conversations you know, not a lot of empowering um, exchanges going on. And and through this whole process, I had always found time to teach. One day, you know, I'm in the hood and I'm teaching my classes, you know, and I have fun and I love it. Next thing I know, I'm on a flight shooting videos with this person and that person. And then I'm back and I'm still teaching my classes. And, and then I, through that process, I discovered, like... Wow, I love both of these, but that makes me feel better about myself. So I had to go through this kind of like, what's important to me? Questioning and analyzing, you know, what is really, really important for me at the end of the day? Is it pursuing this dream, if you will, of being a successful choreographer or... You know, music industry, whatever. Because uh, I was still, like I said, still unsure. You know, I mean, I knew I, I liked handling my business because I was, for the most part, with all the projects on the person that handles the paperwork, the contracts, the negotiation, you know. But I, I never realized at that time that I was doing like an agent's work of sort, mm. you know what I mean? Or a manager's work of sorts. Because with Larry, I always handled his business. Like he never had to do any paperwork. He never had to, you know. So it wasn't until later that after I left the music industry, it was just like, you know what? I, I care about teaching more than I care about this shit. So pretty much my full time became teaching and developing dance programs and implementing them. And so I started working with a roster of organizations in LA. And that became my full time, and I was happy. I'm going, going, back, back to Cali, Cali. I'm going, going, back, back to Cali, Cali. Cali. Uh, I'm going, going, back, back to Cali, Cali. I'm going, going, back, back to Cali. Cali. So, so that was, I stayed in LA from 99 to 2003. And then I got pregnant, my high school sweetheart, and that's what brought me back to Chicago. And so it was like, well, why am I gonna stay out here in LA, I don't have any family here. I can do what I'm doing here in Chicago. I can do this anywhere. Every city has youth arts and dance. So if I wanna fucking teach in Baltimore, then I'll go to Baltimore, you know what I mean? So it was like, I'm done with LA, let me go back home and have my child and have my child be around his family. And now fast forward to Footwork Kings. So I, I had gotten these articles actually from my dance teacher from high school about, you know, these kids in Chicago who footwork. They were like getting stories in the Tribune and the Sun-Times. And I was like, did something change and I missed it? <laughs> because I had been watching the movement for the last 15 years. And so I'm like, so why is it getting so so much attention now? And so I found this kid named King Charles. And his group, Creation, was having a show at the Museum of Contemporary Arts along with Kumba Links. So I was there supporting Kumba Links. And I was like, oh, there they are, the kids who were in the paper. <laughs> and I, I started communicating with their manager. They had uh, two managers that was working with King Charles and Creation. And I started hiring them for shows. Urban Gateways would give me a budget to bring in dance companies to perform for the different programs that I was running for Urban Gateways. And so I was like... Oh, here. Creation. I have a music video with so-and-so. Creation. So that's how I started my relationship with Charles. And then I started hiring him to teach. I was like, well, maybe he could be one of my co-instructors, you know, through after-school matters. And I literally took him out of Popeye's fried chicken on 167th and Kedzie, because that's where he worked. So he went from making minimum wage to making 20 to 22 an hour. And that pretty much became his full time between performances and teaching. One and two and three and, four and get them sit your tummy tight and do your crunches so like I, I this. Him. I, you know, I was like, Okay, you 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 have to suck this up. If you if you wanna have a you know, a career in this, okay, boom boom boom, you're gonna have to learn how to teach this because you never know. There's opportunities for you in Europe. There's opportunities for you in LA. There's opportunities for you in New York. I took him to New York. I was like, Brian, this is King Charles. This is Khalif. This is Buddha Stretch. Go. Got in the circles. People were amazed. DVDs, 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 videos. Boom. You know, next thing I know, we get invited to New York house dance conference. Yo, have your boys come out here and perform. We'll take care of everything. You'll get paid so much money, and that's how it all started. It's time for the Friculator. Time for It's time for the Friculator. 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 Chicago, you know, has had their own style of street dance since the since the eighties. And before there was footwork. There was groups like the legendary U-Fi-U, House-O-Matic. They were probably like the two most well-renowned groups. Even back then, I had heard about them while I was working with my other street dance crews. There had been somewhat of a separation with street dance crews even back then. You had like the more Puerto Rican house dance crews, and then you had like the black. House Dance Crews. I was mainly with the Puerto Ricans. I grew up in the Puerto Rican neighborhood. They were down the street at the Park District, the UFIUs, and they were, I guess, the South Side Group, so to speak. They were all black. So I had heard of House-O-Matic, and I had seen them here and there. So they had their own style, where they do a lot of real energetic, upper body, popping real hard, very Miami-ish, but, you know, to house music. And they were amazing at it. They had things called whips, where you whip your arms head whips you know what i mean um but a lot of popping like basically it would be upper body you know chest pops let's call it that chest pops you know contractions because that's all it is <laughs> So they had the style that they were developing and then all of a sudden they they started doing like different foot movements, lower body, you know, footwork movement, and they called it footwork. And then through the years, again, this is told through a couple people that were a part of UFIU and Hal Somatics, Aunt Brown kind of I think he separated himself from UFIU and really started just developing the lower body style and a few of his friends. And so they started coming up with moves that were just mainly lower body, some using upper body, but just footwork. No other dancing, everything's footwork. At the time, the DJs um, went from house, hip house, then DJs came up with this term, ghetto house. And then from that period, then they started calling it juke. So all they did was they just kept speeding it up. Well, as a response to the music speeding up, the footwork sped up. The guys that were really serious about it kept footworking and and continued to develop new moves. And so now you got battle clicks. So then develop the footwork battle clicks. So everybody will click up with their own clicks on the west side, on the south side, and they would be footwork battle clicks. So then all these footwork battles started happening like everywhere in the street, in the subway, in the park district. Wherever. And then there was a DJ on the south side, DJ Das, that started an event called uh, King of the Circle. And I believe it was an annual event, and all the footworkers from different sides of town would get together at that rolling rink, a Markham skating rink, and they battled to be king of the circle. And Charles, I think, won the title like three years in a row at a very early age. I think from like 13, 14, 15. Everybody else was like older. You know, 17, 18, you know, he was like the youngest cat, the baby of this whole thing and was just killing him. That's how he became King Charles. after i really kind of zoomed into what they were doing you know the moves were just flashier more swift there was form i guess there there was a lot more form if you will from what i had seen in the past you know and so my idea was okay it's an amazing freestyle but i wonder what'll happen if we actually choreograph this He was still a very inexperienced choreographer back in 2006. So all the different principles of choreography, we, I went through a checklist with him and I was like, here you go. Okay, this is what needs to happen to this. And he caught on really quickly. And then before you know it, 2007 came around and Fatima's agency called me and was like, hey, there's this new phone from Verizon called the Juke phone. And they thought, mind you in LA and New York, they called us the Jukers. They didn't even know that we called the style footwork in. And so it was like they're looking for some jukers for this Verizon Wireless commercial. And I was like, oh, oh, I definitely got the the hot ones. So I'll send them over. And um two out of my three now now booked now 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 work, now work, now it. Shortly after that, in 2008, the same agency calls me and says, hey, Madonna's having this um, specialty act audition. You think you might want to send some of your guys? And I was like, hell yeah. I was like, and if I know Madonna, she will fall in love with this because she always likes to take something new and fresh on tour with her. And long story short, they flew out and they booked her Sticky Sweet tour. I think you want to come over, yeah. Right now, where I am with it, uh, we are into year five of the project, and we've done everything again from appearing with Cedric the Entertainer on TBS. We appeared with Ellen DeGeneres in 2007 in Vegas for Ellen's really big show, which was also on TBS. We did the commercial. We did the Madonna tour. We're still pushing it, and we just got off America's Best Dance Crew. dance and music has transformed my life in a very empowering way. If I think of had my mother and father stayed in Mexico in the very remote village from where my family comes from I don't think I would have been a world traveler I don't think I would have been a dancer I don't think I would have been exposed to the various music that I have been exposed to and it it matters to me because it has changed my world perspective and through that I'm able to share that with others and with the hopes that they too will be transformed.